Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm Suzanne Weller, and this is a show about growth and unleashing what's possible. You will hear inspiring stories about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we choose courage over comfort. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. It's Suzanne. Welcome to The Courage Effect. And this is a show about storytelling. So what better of a guest to have than somebody who really is an expert and lifelong storyteller? My guest today is Nicole Christie. Nicole Christie is the founder and CEO of Tula Productions, a storytelling studio connecting brands with their audiences through human-centered audio, visual, and print stories. She's also the creator and host of Here For Me, a podcast about the power of choosing yourself. In service to her clients and listeners, she is passionate about telling raw, candid, emotional stories that touch hearts, impact lives, and impart life lessons. Nicole has an extensive background in brand and marketing communications. She's a two-time Microsoft alum, a founding principal and creative director of the boutique firm Nico, and worked with the late Paul Allen's Vulcan Inc., managing communications for Vulcan Capital, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation. She's a lifelong comedy nerd, having studied and performed improv and sketch comedy in New York City, is Midwest-born from Wisconsin, and Northwest-bred from Seattle. And Nicole is now based in San Diego and is over the moon about finally calling the beach sun and palm trees her home. Nicole, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to The Courage Effect. Thank you so much for having me. It is an equal pleasure to be here. No. One of the things, I mean, when, as I read your bio and as we've had conversations is that you have done a lot of cool things in your life <laughs> and a lot of those have really involved courage. So I'd love to talk to you about the, the role that courage has played in your life. Let's start there. That's a big question. <laughs> so it is a big question. But that's all right. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I think for me, courage has always meant, um, you know, taking, taking risks and, um, something that I, I think I've realized recently and Suzanne, I think you and I talked about this a little bit is, um, you know, I've, I've come to understand that courage is actually, um, doing the work, doing the inner work, but beyond, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just be very frank, right. I've been in and out of therapy for 22 years and, um, you, you know, you go into therapy and you unpack things about yourself and you, uh, recognize how you get in your own way, how you screw things up relationships, your life, whatever. Um, and I always thought that was doing the work, you know, essentially just, you know, being in therapy, unpacking, talking about things. What I realized is doing the work is when you make the choices the and you align your life with that work in a way that absolutely terrifies you. Right. And I don't have to tell you this courage is, uh, different from, I think, uh, fearlessness, right. It's when there's fear and you act anyways. And so I think there are a lot of things that I've done. You, you mentioned some of the, some of the work that I've done in throughout my career, um, that didn't feel courageous to me. I actually felt pretty fearless. Um, you know, I, I, I left a long-term relationship in my early thirties and, and went to New York. And a lot of people were like, that's so scary. I could never do it. You know, like I just found a great job to take me out there and, and completely started over, not really knowing anybody. Um, that didn't feel like courage to me. That felt just fearless. Like, yeah, okay, we'll do this. Um, doesn't mean it wasn't hard or, 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 you know, there wasn't a, a period of grieving that I went through leaving that relationship or leaving my home of Seattle. Um, but then, uh, more recently, you know, in my life, I've done things that were, I was terrified to do. I had no idea how it was going to work out. I was like, am I going to be alone, fail, 
bottle and go broke. Those were, those were like three fears over the last year of my life that I've had in the choices that I made to sort of align my life. And that to me is like real, real courage. So I don't know that I actually feel like I was super courageous until recently. Mm, well, those are big, those are big fears that you just talked about. I mean, one of those is pretty, is pretty meaty on its own, much less all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, because um, I moved to New York as well. And so many people were like, I can't believe you did that. And, uh-huh. but it was just, it was something when you have a calling, when you have an urge, when you have that yes. need, the risk to me was about not doing it more than doing it. Oh, I love that. You know, I mean, and that, and it is like the, uh, you want to live with no regrets, right? And people say regret is, um, you know, often what you wish you had done, not something that you did and learned a lesson from. So kudos to you. I think anyone that feels a pull. I've always told people this, if you feel a pull to live in New York, you have to do it. There's something about checking that box. Um, It's such an incredible, it truly is. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. I mean, it's, it's a unique place and I'm sure for you, as it is for me, it has a very special place in my heart. Yes. And it always will. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It always will. Yep. You also said something really interesting when you talked about courage is doing the inner work. And Mm -hmm. um, obviously that's, that's quite a long process and it's not something that just happens not, you know, in in short term and, Mm -hmm. and it evolves as you go. I'm curious for you, as you, as you think about doing the work, what was the thing that took you to actually investing in seeing a therapist or knowing that you wanted some support from, from somebody else? Mm -hmm. Uh, The more recent iteration of that? You tell me. Okay. <laughs> Cause there's, I mean, there were, you know, 22 years ago, uh, you know, my previous relationship, there were some, some different things. Um, the most recent iteration of it. And, and I will speak to that because I think it's the one that forced me to actually really activate what I see as courage, um, was, um, I was in a, um, an abusive relationship and, uh, that had been going on for a decade. So I, came to understand that what I was experiencing was narcissistic abuse, which was really a thing that until two years ago, I didn't really understand. Um, but a friend of mine actually said, you know, do you think he's a narcissist? I was like, uh, Hmm, wow, that's interesting. And then I educated myself, you know, so many of us think it's someone who's very, there's a spectrum of narcissism, which I learned, but we all think of it as, you know, the person who's flashy and has lots of selfies and that can be part of it. So that's why I kind of sort of questioned it at first. I was like, I don't really know that that's what I'm dealing with, but there's this spectrum, right? And it can be covert and it can be, you know, getting people to feel sorry for you and and take care of you and um, sort of vulnerable narcissism, if you will, but not vulnerable in the way that Brene Brown speaks of it, that it's positive. So um, I educated myself about this and learned that there were therapists who specialized in recovery from that. And in April of 2021, and there were a lot of other things going on in my life. I was just at the end of a year long cancer journey and two years of, of other health issues as well. Um, started seeing therapist because I needed to sort out how to either get out of this relationship or learn how to thrive in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was, that was the impetus for, you know, what's been the last two years of my life of really enacting courage in order to, um, sort of save myself and align myself with my path and and my purpose and what I'm meant to do in life. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it has been a lot. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you're also making me think, I mean, I think about, you know, in general, we talk about like when something happens to us, you know, there's, there's the actual stimulus and then there's the reaction. And then Mm -hmm. between those two, there is choice. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is that despite 
despite what the stimulus was, if it's something that you like a relationship that you had gone into and it had, you know, it, it was something that you co-created or getting a cancer diagnosis that you are really living in that space of choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's interesting when you talk about choice, because, um, I didn't feel like I had one, right. It was like, I, yeah, I just felt like cancer. Um, I, I just have to do what I have to do. Like there are, you know, we, and you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And there was no room. I was going through this during the pandemic. My now ex-husband, um, was uh, furloughed um, during that time, what he does for a living with it, you know, they weren't working. Um, and I just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So I felt like I didn't have a choice. It was like, you just have to do what you have to do. Yeah. Well, and as you said before, that's what takes courage. It's, it's literally just doing the work, even if it's step by step. Yeah. Yeah. Little by little, it was, was definitely the path. Was there something in particular that woke you up? That, that gave you an awakening to knowing that you needed to change your life and that you were in that unhealthy relationship? I mean, obviously you were dealing with cancer, so I can only imagine what that was doing to, to your life yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It was at the end of that journey. So, um, you know, I'd had, uh, I'd had another health crises, um, just before we moved to San Diego from Seattle in June of 2019, I had a, an autoimmune response to a virus. And I ended up uh, in the hospital for a week and was released the day before we moved here. <laughs> I wasn't able to move here for a couple of weeks because I was recovering at my parents' house. Um, but I it, ultimately, I, I lost multiple layers of skin and all my toenails. That was the manifestation of that. And it was very symbolic. Um, and I had some friends who are healers. Uh, one is a meditation instructor and the other is an acupuncturist who said to me, you know, do you think maybe you have an issue with boundaries? Like, do you think this is a metaphysical manifestation of something that might be happening? I was like, oh, that just resonated. So that was kind of the first wake up call that I wasn't showing up to life in a way that served me. Um, and I, it took nine months to recover from that. So March of 2020, the pandemic hits and I find this lesion in my eye and I'm not diagnosed with cancer until July of 2020 because you know, doctors weren't seeing anyone unless you had COVID or it was life-threatening. So it was the end of that journey in February of 2021. I'd had um, a few surgeries at that point and uh, six months of cancer treatment. I had immunotherapy, which is, I call it chemo light. And um, yeah, something happened in our relationship. There was a last straw the night before my last cancer treatment that was horrifying and devastating and, um, and, and yeah, just, I was, I was terrified. And I knew in that moment, I can't stay in this. Yeah. That was, that was, that was, that was the last straw. And it still took me a year and a half beyond that to get through the cancer journey and find the strength physically and emotionally to move on. That is so much. I mean, I, I have to say how much respect I have for you for navigating, I mean, all of that at one point and and especially during covid when the, yeah. the, your world was turned upside down in so many different ways everyone's was yeah yeah well and i i listened to your podcast episode the the hair for me about you know all of the immune the the skin and the nails and everything that you were dealing mm -hmm. with before um before you move and i would i would encourage all of you to give a listen to that it's 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 upsetting it at the same time, just the reality of your body telling you that yes. something is wrong. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, um, and, and my eye, you know, was sort of the same thing. I was like, yeah. I'm, I saw it as I'm not seeing clearly. And, um, and that was, you know, the, that last straw, which I shared with a friend who said, you know, 
do you think you're in a narcissistic relationship? Um, you know, that was all happening and my cancer actually came back. So the night before that last cancer treatment, when this incident happened between us, you know, I went to the, to the doctor the next day thinking this is my last treatment and I'm better and we're done. And they said, we think it's back. And it was, so it was still a few more months of it really, I mean, literally intense surgery. I had my whole eye, I had half of my eyelid cut out, my tear duct rebuilt and to remove the cancer. We've been trying to avoid that. So that's what I went into while I was having the realization that I was in an abusive relationship and finding a therapist and our cat died and it was the pandemic. <laughs> it was just like, that was probably the worst, you know, couple months of my life. And that particular day was like the worst 18 hours. Um, cause my doctor literally said the words to me, I have to operate in seven to 10 days to save your eye and potentially your life. And I was managing that while managing this realization that I was in an abusive relationship that I had to get out of. So it was your life and, uh, your life within 18 hours. Yeah. I mean, the amount of strength and resilience, I mean, I, I know we have to go to a break in a minute, but I would love to talk more about that strength, how you, mm -hmm. how you really stood in that repeatedly yeah. and what you've done to really build resilience for what comes next. So let's take a short break now. This is Suzanne. You're listening to The Courage Effect, and I will be right back with Nicole Christie. We see the urgent threat of climate change every day. Tornadoes in Texas, drought in Europe, typhoons in the Philippines. But what don't we see? How the climate crisis hits vulnerable people the hardest, women and girls. That's why CARE helps the world's most marginalized people build resiliency and fight for a more just and sustainable world. You can help. Learn more at care.org slash climate. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne, and I'm in conversation with Nicole Christie. Nicole was just sharing some stories about the challenges, some real significant challenges that she's faced over the past couple of years, one of those being diagnosed with eye cancer. And that was one of the things that really makes me think, it, you know, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, Nicole, it was, you know, sort of the awakening, which is mm -hmm. a little bit, I mean, you know, Let's talk about the eye analogy, you know, opening your eyes to something. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit, just as far as this awakening for you. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, following on the thread of, of the friends of mine that talked about the skin and being, you know, skin is your ultimate boundary and asking me to think about that. I sort of applied that same logic or, or philosophy to what's going on with my eye. And I actually, and I'm, I'm kind of a woo woo spiritual person. So I actually went online and was reading about what is, what is the symbolism of the left eye, which is where my cancer was. And, you know, they always say that eye is the window to the soul, but some cultures believe the, the left eye is particularly significant and it's, and it's what reveals like your true insides. And I felt like, I think the window is murky and I'm not really seeing clearly. And I'm also not really being my true self. And so just kind of diving more into that, I thought this is a moment like my eye has literally been opened. I mean, they removed half of my lower lid and my tear duct, rebuilt everything, had a um, great world renowned oculoplastic surgery here in San Diego. So it's like a 
a gift that I was here to, to get that surgery. Um, and just realizing like doing a lot of reflection, particularly with the therapist that I ended up finding for narcissistic abuse recovery of what red flags have I been ignoring? What red flags have I, have I been excusing? Um, what have I just completely, I'm going to use the analogy, turned a blind eye to. And, um, and really we started working on somatic experiencing, which is where you identify how things are manifesting in your body. And it was such, it's such a powerful modality. So that was what we started working through of how is this showing up and how do I start identifying what my body is telling me as a means of what is going on, um, you know, feeling wise or, or whatever's happening in my life that I'm not tuning into. And so that was kind of how, how I started that, how to sort of, sort of learn to use my body as a compass for what's happening in my life and where I need to be, um, realigning. Wow. What are some of the practices that you do to, that, to really tap into that somatic side? Um, mindfulness is, is a, is a really big one. Um, just being, it's really important. I'm an introverted person. Um, and so making sure that I have quiet time every day to pay attention to where I feel things in my body and just being tuned in throughout the day also. So for me, it's really important. And this is an interesting thing in our culture to not be too externally focused. So not be rushing. Um, I don't like to be overscheduled. I don't like to like, um, I tend to move pretty quickly just as a human body in space, but not moving so quickly that I'm, I feel like I can't be mindful. I can't pay attention to what my body's telling me. So really trying to live more intentionally and more slowly, and then activating that mindfulness of like, why do I have this pain here? Why do my teeth hurt today? Why am I clenching what's going on? So just making time every day for that to check in with my body. And it's not a formal like meditation or anything, although I've done that and I really believe in that and I do it sometimes. It's just really trying to live very slowly, intentionally check in. I do, um, I journal, um, and just kind of like use that as a, as an, as a means of sorting out what's inside of my head and how it's responding to what my body is saying. Yeah. Well, and I, I love that you're anchoring on mindfulness and especially with journaling, because these are such mm -hmm. basic practices that yeah. a lot of people do dismiss as woo woo and, uh -huh. and hard. And right. I say that yes. with, with, I'm, I'm, I'm holding up my hands and quotes. She's doing marks. air quotes. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing air quotes. And the whole idea of, because people just don't want to do it. Right. I mean, and right. I get it. And yeah. I've been someone that I don't journal every day. I do meditate every day, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. um, even if it's for three minutes, I meditate. It's so, and that's huge. Right. And, yeah. and, and I, I have a, um, I had a great therapist when I was living in Seattle who taught me like, you know, mindfulness can be anything. It can be when you're cooking, right? Like if cooking is a way, like my, my cousin's wife is an amazing cook and that's how she sort of gets in touch with herself and relaxes and let's go and process it. could be that it can be a walk. Um, I live in San Diego, go to Coronado beach all the time. I did it yesterday. I was like, I have to go ground and the sand for me, I'm not a mountains person, you know, I'm not, but I will go to the beach and put my, my feet in sand for an hour and just walk. And that also is important. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I have to go ground. That's yeah. A, that's you have to ground one. and music for me. Um, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, that's my lifeblood, you know, being from Seattle, you live there too, uh, growing up in the eighties and nineties. Um, it, it, it's huge. So music is also, I'll fill my ears with full blast AirPods, which I've talked about on here for me before. And that actually gets me in touch with my emotions and helps me process. So that's another way. Oh, I love it. I feel like we're kindred spirits in a lot of ways Yay! <laughs> I'm Music not and singing and all of these things yes. that just allow you to, to just, yeah, it feels it's so healing. Good. 
that's all yeah. healing for sure. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, when we, when we talk about practices, right. Resilience practices. And yeah. I mean, I love that you I mean, I'm an avid cook. So I love that you talk about cooking because yeah. I can't even tell you like during the pandemic, I created this whole thing on Instagram quarantine bake club, where we were baking something every week oh, cool. with people all over the world that wanted to do it. Um, when I was really mad, I was doing rage baking. I mean, I was doing yeah. all of these different things. Yes. So, and it was the physical practice of it. So, but I'm mm -hmm. curious for you as you've gone through this journey, I mean, especially past the past few years, what were the things that you really did for practices to build resilience? Um, you know, the biggest thing was working with a therapist who specialized in narcissistic abuse recovery. And one of the things that she said to me right at the get-go is it's not my job to tell you to stay or go. It's my job to help you decide what is right for you and then give you the tools to either thrive in the relationship and get your needs met because you will never get them met from a narcissist. Um, and she said, some of my clients, they love the person, they have children, there are financial reasons that they can't leave. So we teach them techniques and tools, you know, kind of, we called it building an emotional toolbox to thrive within the relationship or you know, obviously there's a time where you need that. And then also how do you have the tools to walk away from it and protect yourself and, and get out safely? Not that I was physically unsafe, but it was emotionally unsafe. How do you walk out? So working with her for 10 months, so it was April, 2021 to January of 2022 to build that toolbox was enormous in my healing and building strength and also building the belief that I was worthy of real love of having needs met of understanding my needs, articulating them and believing they needed to be met. None of which I had done for the whole decade in this relationship, which, and it was interesting. I'd had other functional relationships. So the fact that this one was not, I just somehow lost myself in it. So that was huge. That was a big piece of it. And, and working with her somatic experiencing, um, obviously, you know, just, you know, talk therapy, she did something called schema therapy. That was really important. Um, I talked about that in, uh, episode four of my podcast, the first, mm -hmm. uh, with, uh, Dr. Uh, with Sharon Baker, who's a a marriage and family therapist. So, you know, working with a therapist on that. And then, um, this, the other piece of it was January of 2022, when I felt like my emotional toolbox is strong. I know now that I need to go, I'm not quite ready, but I have everything and I need to just go away and integrate that. And that's where mindfulness comes in. I also went, uh, I hadn't been back to, I'm a big Pilates person and I do uh, traditional Pilates, but really hard, you know, huffing and puffing, falling off your reformer, dying um, Pilates. And I hadn't done it for two years between the pandemic and being sick. So March of 2022, I was like, I'm ready to go back. And I have a wonderful instructor who's also become a dear friend here in San Diego. And I went to her and I was like, I want you to kick my ass into the best shape I've ever been. Because to have this conversation with my now ex-husband, which I still was like, I'm not quite there yet. I needed to be as physically strong as I was emotionally strong. And one thing I love about Pilates and my instructor and I have talked about it is it's, there's so much cueing. I don't know if you, if you do Pilates, but it's, yeah, it's, it's so much like, okay, you know, ribs knit flat back, you know, all these, you cannot be in your head because you'll miss something. Even, you know, I love yoga too, but even yoga, I can kind of zone out once I get into a pose for a little bit, even a flow yoga is not like Pilates. And so that was important to me to be doing that level of physical. It, it really is like, the way she does it is strength building and cardio as much as it is flexibility and, and agility and all of that. Um, so that was the other practice that I was, I was building, I'd built emotional resistance and I was working on it in my day-to-day -day life starting in early 2022. And then I was like, let's work on the physical piece of it. Cause I needed to feel like my actual physical backbone 
was as strong as my metaphorical backbone. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, and that's a really interesting one too. When I think about, you know, you're working with clients every day to help them on storytelling and mm -hmm. that can be something. And I do some of that too, yeah. where you're, you're a, you want people to get vulnerable. And at the same time, I mean, there's that phrase that I know Brene Brown has said, and it, I've heard it from other meditation teachers, you know, strong back, soft front. Yes. Oh, it's such a good, yeah. So when you yep. talk about that backbone of titanium, I wonder when you're working with clients, how do you, how do you encourage them to stay strong and grounded like you do, but then still encourage that empathy and some softness? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I think it's, um, I think one thing that I, that I do well is, um, being a soft landing for, for people in my life, for clients and others. And I think part of that is, showing up on here for me with the level level of vulnerability that I do. Um, and also in my relationships and friendships and otherwise, and with, with my clients, I'm just a very open and vulnerable person. And so modeling that, I think other people go, Oh, I can do that too. Nicole's a safe space. And then how do you, how do we just sort of practice that with each other? I'm thinking, you know, specifically in a client relationship. Um, I think people just, get used to it. I was actually, this is an interesting story. I was actually, um, out to brunch recently with a couple friends of mine, one who's come on my podcast and, uh, his partner was with him and we got into this super vulnerable conversation about how they met and how the relationship started. And his partner was like, um, she's a good interviewer. Cause we've never told this story before. And I think it's just knowing how to show up the way that I tell my own stories with people in conversation and you do the same, we're doing this now, um, is it just helps people let their guard down and then they realize it's okay. And then when they see the beauty of like connecting with someone else, um, it's like, Oh yeah. Strong back, soft front. I can do that. That's beautiful. And yeah. And it's, I love also what you're talking about with modeling behavior for others, because it is one of those things where it's not just about being empathetic and asking those questions and listening, but also being courageous and making mm -hmm. those bold moves that sometimes people are like, how did you do that? Exactly. As you said before. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. Well, I want to do a quick recap of some of the things that you've shared with us today. You've talked about courage is doing the inner work. So really, and, and it, it doesn't end. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't end the in thing. therapy, starts with therapy, but then you have to align your life with that. And, and that's, that's the courage part of it, I think. Yeah. Although yeah. there's courage in getting to therapy too. There's, that's a huge step that I commend everybody for, for sure. Yeah. And definitely. And building your emotional toolbox and not just building it, but keeping it sharp. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's absolutely important. You have to keep practicing the skills. Yeah. Cause it's something that just, even though, even though you've built it, you got to evolve it you got to make sure that you're tweaking it. And maybe there are some other tools that you need at different times. Right. So yes. Yes. And listening to what your body is telling you, which is huge for you. So, mm -hmm. um, and thank you. Thank you for being so open and for sharing all of these stories with us. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. So as we wrap, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Um, you can, uh, find me online at nicolechristie.com and I see O L E C H R I S T I E.com. Uh, the podcast is called here for me, H E R E. So we're on all the major podcast platforms. Um, you can also go to here for me podcast.com. Uh, you can get to the podcast on nicolechristie.com as well. And then on social media, I am Nicole J Christie on Instagram and Facebook and Nicole Christie on LinkedIn. So three different social platforms as well as a website and the podcast, which you can find wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Great. We will make sure that all of that is on the Courage Effect website. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being here. It's such a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay courageous. Stay courageous.